Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. And the Lord Jesus says here, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. If you would please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise for this day. We thank you for calling us out of our beds and into the worship of your gathered bride here at Christ Community Church. Lord, we thank you for our worship so far this morning, for confession, Lord, for uh, the prayers of your people, Lord, for the work of your people in the liturgy, Lord, for hearing your word spoken and read aloud. Lord, we pray, God, that you would uh, continue to bless our worship as we hear your word proclaimed and taught, Lord, as we come to the table and make thanks for Christ, and Lord, as we continue to sing and to confess our faith together. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time, Lord, as we discuss this text and, Lord, the weightiness, Lord, of this text. And we pray, Lord, these things in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Um, this text really kind of illustrates one of the things I love about using a lectionary. Um, of course, you could do the same thing by just going through a book, which is exactly what we're doing as well, right? This year's lectionary gospel reading is the Gospel of Matthew, but the lectionary sometimes, especially if you follow it, it forces you sometimes to deal with texts that you normally wouldn't talk about. <laughs> um, even if you were to preach through a book, uh, which I have done a few times, um, you do have the option if you want to. Not that, not that I am beholden to the lectionary. I've been told by the elders multiple times, look, if the Lord is leading you one way or the other, then preach that. All right. uh, this year, the Lord has said, preach through the Gospel of Matthew, so that's what we're doing. right? But you can always skip text if you want to. But then, if you're following the lectionary, it's like, hey... Here's the text for this week. Sometimes it's good to deal with hard text. This is a hard text. But it's a very practical text. And there are, few, there are more, th more than a few things within the Christian faith that can quickly cause an argument or controversy. And church discipline is definitely one of those things. And that's what this text is about. Because the idea that the church, which is made up of redeemed sinners should have any assumptions of this kind of authority over fellow church members seems not only very hypocritical to, to many, but honestly completely wrong. And so as, as we come to this very controversial topic, straight from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself, there are three very key words that should always be at the forefront of church discipline that Jesus draws out of this text, and they are 
repentance, redemption, and restoration. These three words are to always be the goal of church discipline, regardless if the process eventually leads to excommunication, which is also in this text. So if we were to forget or to ignore any of these three, the work of church discipline can lead to disaster and to destruction and even to disunity, both in the local church and for the one being disciplined. And this is why. Discipline involves more than the individual members that are affected. It also involves more than the elders of the local church. Church discipline involves the entire assembly of the whole church. And we see this very clearly in this text, and we will see this as we make our way through it. And so the purpose of church discipline is to deal specifically with unrepentant sin. Many folks that want to exercise church discipline forget this point. It is to deal with unrepentant sin within the church. And so as Walton preached last week and reminded us very clearly, our sin nature itself is not dead, but it has been made powerless through the death of Christ. And by the resurrection of Christ, we are now dead to sin because we are alive to Christ. So therefore, sin, even sin between members of the assembly, will occur. And so because Jesus understands how unrepentant sin can bring disunity among his bride, he gives us this process. And so here what Jesus does is he repeats and then he expands our understanding of our authority to bind and to loose. He did this already that we looked at two weeks ago in Matthew 16. So this is really a parallel passage to that discussion. Binding and loosing occur for the church in two different directions. In one direction, it, we bind and loose in the direction of the world as we proclaim the gospel. But it also occurs in the direction of the church itself. So we set loose the kingdom of heaven. We throw open its doors by teaching and by proclamation and by discipleship. But we bind when we shut the doors of the kingdom because we have been given its keys. And we bind through discipline and we bind through guarding the church and guarding the table and guarding the proclamation of the word. This is how we bind. But it is all done for the purpose of redemption and repentance and restoration. And so first, I just want to consider the process that Jesus gives us of church discipline. And it's in verses 15, 16, and 17, which are the first three sentences, I believe, of your, of your bulletin there. And again, he says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, then you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You see Jesus adhering to Scripture here from the book of Deuteronomy and from the law, right? Take two or three witnesses along. And then finally, if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So we'll stop there. We'll pick up in verse 18 in a minute. So you'll notice from the outset, just reading through this a second time, Jesus presents this process. It's very practical, right? But it's also, it's a threefold process for the work of discipline. But we should also note from the outset that this process is intended to be filled with mercy and to be filled with grace. Meaning that we are not to jump straight from being sinned against by another member of the church to kicking them out of the church. Right? That 
would be ungracious, right? It would be destructive. It would not result in repentance and restoration or redemption. Our Eastern Orthodox friends are right here and they say this. They say all correction. It must be done with great care and great humility. With the highest concern being the salvation of the offender. That is our concern in church discipline. So what is clear here is that Jesus is speaking of sin that occurs within the context of the local covenant community. And not only do we see this in his command to eventually escalate things to the level of the whole church, but also he uses a particular Greek word here in verse 15 that is really helpful, and it's the word adelphos. Now this is the Greek word for brother. But this does not simply mean a sibling from the same parent. Right? Most of us in the room, I believe, have siblings. So Adelphos can mean that, but it means more than that in this context. Within the first century context, both for the Jewish community that Jesus ministered in originally, as well as for the early church that would come, this meant also a member of the same religious community. And Jesus is stressing to us here that there will come a point when a believer will sin against his or her Adelphos against a member of the same community. And so when this happens, the one sinned against is to go and tell the sinner their fault between you and him alone. That alone is very important, right? Because this language stresses both reproval as well as conviction. Chrysostom writes here, he says, you must conduct your judgment of him privately. Make your cure easy to accept and help him to see his indiscretion. Tell him what you have suffered from him. So consider that, again, this process is very merciful and it's very grace-filled. Consider the mercy and the grace behind just this step alone. If someone sins against me, then it should be me that goes to that person. Right Now, most children, right, when, when somebody wrongs your friend, you go tell the, wrong, the, the person that did the wrong how they have wronged your friend. Or, to get even more childish and, and, and silly... When your friend likes somebody, right, you go and you say, hey, they like you, you know, do you like them? Right, this, this, is, this is immaturity. Go, having someone go in your stead is immature. And so it should be me that goes to them and say, you have sinned against me and here's how. Because I have the direct experience of the event. Because it was against me and it, would get, it was against me alone. So further, each one of us, we also have a responsibility to seek reconciliation and unity within the body. It's not our place to grumble or to gossip or to recruit allies in order to insult a fellow believer of the body of Christ. And so if it is hard to accept rebuke, which every one of us knows that it is, even a private rebuke, it's just as hard to deliver a rebuke in humility. In Leviticus 19.17, we read this. It says, Do not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. This is the principle that Jesus is building this process upon in this first step. The goal is to always convict the heart, the mind, and the spirit for the purpose of repentance and redemption and restoration. And if this is done in humility, then hopefully and prayerfully the desired outcome will be the gaining of your brother, the gaining of your Adelphos. But taking this one step further, gaining them is more than simply restoring the relationship between you and the one that has sinned against you. By gaining your brother, you have helped to restore 
their relationship between themselves and the Lord God. You have gained your Adelphos, a beloved by God, a called by God, a ransomed by God member of the whole covenant community. The purpose of all forms of church discipline is meant to be redemptive in nature. But as we know, because I'm sure we have all been on the receiving end of this, sometimes pride can rear its ugly head, especially when our sensibilities are offended. Because if I do something wrong, I don't want somebody coming to tell me that I've done something wrong, right? I want to just sulk in my wrongness and be wrong. So most folks, and we know this, right, because I know I'm this way, right? We, we, we don't take very kindly to being told that we're wrong. And so if the private confrontation is rejected, then the next step is to then elevate it by involving others from the covenant community. This, too, is to be an act of mercy and grace. But it is so in two particular ways. First, by involving two or three witnesses at this stage, you are protecting yourself from being accused of the sins of slander or bearing false witness. But second, these additional witnesses are helpful and necessary in the event that this matter needs to be brought and elevated to the whole church community for judgment and for discipline. This is a practical step, but it is also an act of mercy and grace. But then again, sometimes, even then, guilt is hard to admit. Now I have three or four people coming to tell me that I'm wrong. I'm going to be even madder knowing myself personally, right? So my pride has been offended. Multiple people are telling me I'm wrong. So now, the whole entire assembly needs to come together, and they need to render judgment. And so Jesus says this. He says, again, if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This term, refuses to listen, that Jesus, he states it twice here in this verse. He says, again, if he refuses to listen to them, and then if he refuses to even listen to the church, this phrase means to completely ignore. They have absolutely shrugged it off. And so now the whole covenant community must respond because the church cannot afford to ignore unrepentant sin within its midst. Discipline should always seek repentance and redemption and restoration, but it is also necessary in order to protect the entire church. But notice something else here in this phrase, in particular this this verse 17, that the entire community has the final word of this process. The you in this phrase, again, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you. This you is singular in the Greek, but it is intended for the entire church, the singular church. It is rendered, the judgment is rendered by the entire assembly, stressing that each and every one of us are responsible for rendering the judgment, but also abiding by it. And the purpose of this is not to just simply declare them guilty, but to hear the case and to seek repentance and redemption and restoration one final time. But if this person still refuses to listen, if they ignore this call to repentance, then they are to be treated as a Gentile and a tax collector. They are to be excommunicated. This is what binding and loosing looks like. This is exercising our authority over the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We exercise this authority when we proclaim the gospel to the lost and when we proclaim the gospel to the community 
in matters of discipline. Sometimes that means turning someone out due to their lack of repentance and then treating them as if they are an unbeliever. But, you know, you get here and you think about how controversial this passage is and someone says, yeah, okay, that's fine. But in the same gospel, Jesus has already shown us that he ministers to Gentiles and tax collectors directly. Well, he does. And so by doing that, he shows us that even in the act of excommunication, in the act of treating them as an unbeliever, we still have a ministry of proclaiming the gospel to that person that has been disciplined. Our use of the keys of the kingdom turn, then, from discipling them as a member of the covenant community to evangelizing them as one who is lost and must be reached with the gospel. So excommunication does not mean that we stop pursuing repentance and redemption and restoration. Now, excommunication is meant to be remedial. It's meant to be corrective, as well as to protect the church. So when the church excommunicates, or when we grant someone membership within the covenant community, we are declaring the gospel to them and to the world. That's why Jesus reminds us again of the authority that he has given to us as his church to bind and to loose. And he says this in verse 18, truly, or in the Greek, amen, so be it. I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is word for word what Jesus told Peter after his confession of him as the Christ two Sundays ago in chapter 16, verse 19. And the meaning here is similar as it was there. We bind and we loose. We exercise authority over the doors of the kingdom of heaven by proclaiming or withholding the truth of the gospel. To bind is to prevent entry. And to loose is to permit entry. But here it even goes further. These terms bind and loose are written in the Greek in such a way that they're passive, that the tense is passive, meaning that this could also be read, shall have been bound or shall have been loosed. Telling us that the authority behind the church as she binds and as she looses is external. We have been given this authority. It has been bestowed upon us by Christ himself. So when we exercise this authority, we are merely restating what God has already declared to be so. The authority to bind and to loose, to discipline and to judge and to excommunicate is an authority that comes from God himself and it has heaven as its collateral. Theodore Mopsuestia writes this. He says, Well introduced are these words, whatever you loose. Since Jesus shows that if they loose those who repent, their action has power since the church in heaven and on earth are one. We confess this every single week in the Apostles' Creed, whether we sing it or we pray it, as we will do in a moment. This is what Theodore is referring to. And in the spirit of the confession of one church, he continues and he says this, Anyone who does not want to be loosed from the bond of his sin, but draws it into himself, is alienated from the church both on earth and in heaven. But, it is, but he is also bound by it. Hence, if one is in earnest about being loosed and receives the loosing of the saints, the loosing of the church, he will belong in the heavenly church and be loosed from the bondage of his judgment. So because this authority to bind and to loose is external, 
It is Christ himself who asserts this authority through us as an extension of his presence on earth. And this external authority is meant to reassure us that when we must make this heavy decision to cast out a member of the community, it's done with the authority of God himself. But there's one final form of reassurance that Jesus offers us in this text. And that's his presence with the church as she disciplines. This final two verses, he says this, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For, the, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, most of us, and I know, I know you've heard it because I know I've heard it, right? Most of us usually have heard these verses interpreted to mean a couple of things. We read these and we kind of sort of take them out of context because we do it all the time, right? So first, verse 19, we read it and we say, okay, well, you know, if two Christians agree on anything in prayer, then God is going to grant whatever they agree on in prayer, right? That's how we have always interpreted it. Okay. The other, in verse 20, if two or three Christians are gathered anywhere for any reason, then Christ is among them. Now, I will agree with that one, particularly since we all are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? But... That's a big but here, right? But is that what these mean in the context? Is that what Jesus is getting at? I think you can say that, yes, secondarily, but primarily is that what he means? Consider how his words here both relates to our gathering and to our praying as the gathered body. These are meant to be directly applied to this text, to this passage of the hard work of church discipline. And we see it through the beginning, the first word in verse 19, which is the word again. He says, again, I say to you this. This is now the second time he has said this. But this word can also be translated as returned or once more. So once more, I'm telling you, let's return to this thought one more time. Meaning specifically that this is not a separate teaching on prayer but a further statement regarding our authority in matters of discipline. So what we ask for, what we pray for specifically, is the wisdom and guidance of God in matters of church discipline. And the mention of a connection between heaven and earth in this verse confirms this interpretation. The only guarantee that we have that our earthly judgments have any authority or power at all is because they are placed under God's control. And they have been bound and loosed in heaven. And this is especially true in matters of disciplining the church. And so the promise here then is that if two individuals in the church agree on this judicial claim of discipline on earth, then it will have been done for them by the Father in heaven. And this is all because God's authority is behind every act of binding and loosing of the church. So similar to Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ in chapter 16, this passage is meant to be very heavily Christocentric. To gather in the name of Christ is to be in union with Christ and to be in union with his bride, with his body, as well as to be in union together under his authority. So notice again, this is now the third time that Jesus has referenced the necessity of multiple witnesses for a purpose, just in these verses alone. He says two or three witnesses must be taken to give evidence of unrepentant sin. And then at least two of the church must agree on the decision to discipline. And then two or three must be gathered in the name of Christ to exercise the authority of the keys of the kingdom of heaven to carry out that discipline. 
And so because Christ, Jesus, as God incarnate, promises his presence and his authority with us as his body, we are able and we are empowered to do the hard work of judging that body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul tells us this. He says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church that you are to judge? God judges those outside. So purge the evil person from among you. It is our authority to judge one another. Psalm 82, verse 1, reminds us and proclaims that God stands in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the assembly, as he judges among the gods. Peter Chrysologus who was a church father of the late 300s, I believe. He's actually one of the doctors of the church. And he's called the doctor of homilies, or the doctor of sermons. Because his sermons were very short, but they were extremely theologically rich. So I want to read you a long quote of his that I thought was pertinent to this text. He says this, There are those who presume that the congregation of the church can be disregarded. And they assert that private prayer should be preferred to those of an honorable assembly. But if Jesus denies nothing so small as a group as two or three, will he then refuse those who ask for it in the assembly and in the congregation of the church? This is what the psalmist believed when he states, I will confess to you, O Lord, with my whole heart, in the council and the assembly of the righteous. He says, individual members do indeed have their own duty of personal prayer, but they will not be able to fulfill it if they come to the beauty of that perfect body wrapped up in themselves. There is this difference between the fullness of the congregation and the vanity of separation that springs out of ignorance and neglect. In separation, there is a foul, fatal, and fearful aroma, but in salvation and honor, the beauty of the whole body is found within the unity of its members. Psalm 133, 133, the psalmist proclaims to us, he says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So as the whole gathered covenant community follows this very practical and graceful and merciful process, as we seek the guidance of God, as we consider the evidence of two or three witnesses, Jesus assures us that he is among us by the power of his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And he assures us that the Father in heaven is guiding our very thoughts, our actions, and our decisions in this holy and this necessary work of binding and loosing as we seek repentance and redemption and restoration in all matters related to church discipline. So may God honor the teaching of his word And may he use us as Christ Community Church mightily to protect his church. And may we as his covenant people be blessed with the unity of mind and spirit as the dew that falls upon the mountains of Hermon and Zion. For there Yahweh our God has commanded the blessing and life in Christ Jesus forevermore. Amen.